This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, August 3rd, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Trump administration has two big problems. One is Trump. The other is the rest of the administration. Not all the administrators, but almost all, especially the ones who are closest to Trump. We saw once more the limitations of our president in his leaked conversation with the leaders of Australia and Mexico. You probably heard the parts where he told Enrique Peña Nieto that the border wall is, quote, the least important thing we're talking about, but politically, this might be the most important. In fact, his sense of politics were keen in these calls. He frequently told leaders that breaking promises will make him look bad and that being forced into actions that contradict his campaign rhetoric, like taking in Australian refugees, will kill him. But he also had some disassociative moments, like, what's he talking about? And he had a poor grasp of facts and truths. And remember, this is not when he's talking to an adoring crowd or a supplicating news network. But on the other end of that line was an adversary who knew he was lying. And then talking to the Mexican president, there was this. He was talking about his huge wins in Ohio and Michigan. He cited his wins and his electoral victories in both these speeches. And by the way, in Michigan, his win was very, very, very tiny. But he said this, quote, So they are dancing in the streets. You probably have the same thing where they are dancing in your streets also, but in reverse. Like Ginger Rogers, reverse in high heels, or the streets were dancing. What is the reverse of dancing in the streets? Was it that they were crying in the streets? That probably is what he meant. Who knows? The transcripts were embarrassing, but the damage was probably limited. Proof of which is that both these other countries' leaders have gotten on with their agendas as relates to America. But the Trump administration has an F record on its own policy agenda in America because in part of the lack of skill in the rest of the administration. Case in point, yesterday, the White House unveils an immigration plan which would limit immigration overall, cut it by 50%, and also favor entry of high-skilled immigrants. And one skill would be it would favor those who speak English. So when Glenn Thrush asked Stephen Miller a fact-based question, like come up with some statistics that tells me your policy is going to help the economy, Stephen Miller struck back at him this way. Maybe we'll make a carve-out in the bill that says the New York Times can hire all the low-skilled, less-paid workers they want from other countries and see how you feel then about low-wage substitution. This is a reality that's happening in our country. And then Jim Acosta of CNN asked this about the English speaking requirement. But this whole this whole notion of, well, they could learn, you know, they have to learn English before they get to the United States. Are we just going to bring in people from Great Britain and Australia? Now, a normal spokesman for the policy or the author of the policy, if that person were normal, if that person were competent, if that person actually wanted to pass the policy, 
by rallying people around it as opposed to use the policy as a talking point to rally only your own enthusiastic group of supporters. That kind of guy who doesn't exist and isn't Stephen Miller, that kind of guy would have anticipated that question that Jim Acosta asked. And if not the exact question, then the overall point. And I will in a second tell you what a competent person could have said to try to increase the bill's chances of passing. But first, let's hear what the sepulchral Stephen Miller actually did say. Jim, have you honestly never met a, an immigrant from another country who speaks English outside of Great Britain and Australia? Is that your personal experience? Sure, of course there are people who come But that's not what you said. And it shows, it shows your cosmopolitan bias. And I just want to say... It sounds like you're trying to engineer the racial say, and ethnic flow of people into this country. Jim, this that policy. is one of the most outrageous, insulting, ignorant, and foolish things you've ever said. And for you, that's still a really... The, the notion that you think that this is a racist bill is so wrong and so insulting. You're a bad guy. You, the guy who asked the question, you're a nefarious guy. You fall into the category of cosmopolitan. I know very few have ever heard of it, but trust me, it is a bad category. Cosmopolitans with their froth and their pinkness and their open immigration procedures. All right, that's what Miller did say. Here's what he should have said. Actually, Jim, that's interesting. And I'm not sure if people know this, but do you know that after the United States, do you know what country is next in the world with the most English speakers? It's India. Yeah. And after that, it's Pakistan, the Philippines, and Nigeria. Yes, in India and Pakistan, they don't speak English as a first language, but we never required that. We just want proficiency for the economy and to help the immigrants themselves. My God, what a better answer. And that would also make Jim Acosta look like a bit of a fool, wouldn't it? Now, I know Stephen Miller got high fives in the West Wing, which is exactly the problem. Or for those who oppose his policies actually becoming law, not the problem at all. It's not just the one answer to this question that the Trump administration got wrong. The entire policy combines two impulses. One is something that people can get behind. I, I, I don't mean people like the mass of the public. I mean 51 senators. And one is a real turnoff. First of all, there is the idea that we should go from allowing people into this country because they have family members to emphasizing more skills. And this is bipartisan. Almost everyone agrees with it or enough people agree with it that you can get this bill passed. In 2013, Senators Hatch, Klobuchar, Rubio and Coons, two Democrats, two Republicans, introduced the high-skilled immigration bill. They asked economists at the University of Chicago Booth School, they had one of these expert panels, and 89% of the economists agreed with the statement, the average U.S. citizen would be better off if a larger number of highly educated foreign workers were legally allowed to immigrate to the U.S. each year. All right? So they could have had that. They could have had economics on their side. But instead, they craft a policy that gives you this headline and this story. This is from the Washington Post. President Trump endorsed a steep cut in legal immigration on Wednesday. Economists say that's a grave mistake. A Washington Post survey of 18 economists in July found that 89% believe it's a terrible idea for Trump to curb immigration to the United States. See, Trump couldn't do the plan that might be hard but would help the economy that would appeal to yes his base but also the business community and democrats as well instead he had to float a stupid unrealistic draconian cut that will appeal to zero democrats that will turn off the business community and that will only appeal to his base well i hope his base likes it 
They got a policy proposal that will give them cheer that has almost no chance of turning into law in the real world. Why? Why does this go on? It's because we're living in something of a cacistocracy. Uh, definition of which is government by the stupidest and least qualified. Stephen Miller, by the way, is not stupid and he's not unqualified. He's just unqualified to govern. It's government by the least qualified. The guy's qualified to make very cutting arguments. He, in fact, all the people in the administration just don't have the skills to actually get an agenda passed. Stephen Miller can get his people dancing in the streets or in the streets of more cosmopolitan locales, the reverse. On the show today, I know what you're asking yourself, wither Scaramucci. But to understand where the mooch might go from here, and he is having a press conference slash online town hall tomorrow, we need to understand where he's coming from. So I got Zoe Chase in here because she interviewed him back when he was a potential Republican donor looking for a vessel. And I'm going to talk to Zoe and we're going to play the tapes of those interviews. This one, this was for the true Scaramucci completist, but I know you're out there. This whole thing goes on for some length, such as the complexity and majesty of Scaramucci. So I will count what you're about to hear as both our interview and our spiel. So now enjoy the education of Anthony Scaramucci, a blossoming as told in three moochments. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And now the spiel. And this is a special kind of spiel. It's me and my friend Zoe Chase. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Mike. And so when we talk, Zoe, I think like a lot of America, we've been talking about one thing, one guy lately, and that guy is... Mm -hmm. Anthony Scaramucci. Sure, of course. How could we not be? Uh, I mm -hmm. had my run-in with him. We debated the Leviathan on MSNBC, as one does. But you had a, <laughs> you had more of an extended exposure. Tell me a little bit about that. I went to Scaramucci's Midtown Club, which I'm obviously not going to mention here because that would be indiscreet. I was trying to do a, like a piece on um, donors, people who are giving to Republican candidates, and Scaramucci struck out twice. Because yes. at first he supported Scott Walker. Yes. And then he worked his way up from Scott Walker because Scott Walker dropped out really early to Jeb Bush. He had just come from his trainer and he was feeling really good about stuff. And he had like blueberries with almond milk. And he was like, I'm, you know, a, a, a superhero. This is all. I only need two hours of sleep and almond milk to survive on. And then I met up with him at his office a second time. After Jeb Bush dropped out and he was in a, a reflective mood. And so is that's, that... That's when I really got an impression of him. And is that what we're going to uh, hear a little of? Yeah, because I never aired this this interview because I couldn't get an interview with him after that because then he was on a fast track to Donald Trump. When I interviewed him, I just want to say it was March 2016 mm -hmm. and he was not feeling good about the prospective nominee of his party. He okay. was also, you know, feeling kind of... 
I don't want to go so far as to say chastened because that might mess up his brand. Yeah. But he was at least willing to reflect on going zero for two. And maybe he was missing something about right. the electorate. And maybe insofar as that goes about himself. Okay. So with that in mind, here's what I want to do. We'll play uh, selected excerpts of your talk and the... The idea is to understand where Scaramucci is going. And he's doing this press conference tomorrow. And we're all really excited to see if Scaramucci is going to be some sort of shadow communications officer. Could be very exciting. But to understand Mm -hmm. where he's going to go. And I think that's where we'll end up. Let's understand where he's been. So you take us to March. Hit it. What I completely missized. Uh, and I may have mentioned this to you in the last interview about elitism and whether or not you're an elitist or whether you're insulated. Did we go over that together? Yeah. So, so for me, what I've discovered is you want to work on Wall Street. You want to start at Goldman Sachs and deal with wealthy individuals. And you want to create your own business that deals with wealthy individuals. And then you want to go into the hedge fund business that deals with endowments and institutions and wealthy individuals. Uh, you start to insulate yourself from the rest of the population, and then you become an elitist. Okay, and so, so uh, uh, for me, uh, well, I guess there's some level of self awareness in here. At least I hope there is. Uh, I grew up in the middle class, and so now I'm discovering that I'm out of touch with what's going on, the palpable pain in the society, and so I've got to return to that. That's and, really interesting. Let me just make sure I understand what you just yeah. said. So you're saying that, like, in this sort of high finance world that you've been in now for a little while, mm-hmm. maybe you kind of misread. 27 years. Okay, so that's some I've serious been, time. I've been in the business for 27 years, and so. I'll tell you that the first epiphany that I had on this is, um, and you can go back to this, in 2010, CNBC hosted a town hall meeting at the Museum in Washington, D.C. Zoe, what is this? uh, I I think I may have forgotten that CNBC town hall. So basically, there was this moment where Obama was doing the, the CNBC town hall and the mooch comes out and of course he's like we went to harvard law school oh, together, right. I did see Mr. That. President. He talks about like you're whacking us with a pinata i played some clips of that on the yeah, show Listen, right. i represent the wall street community right. we have felt like a pinata maybe you don't feel like you're whacking us with a stick but we certainly feel like we've been whacked with a stick so and he kind of said it over and over yeah, again yeah i like that line <laughs> and it was you know he was quotable then you yep. know back and he remember Scaramucci supported Obama. He was an Obama supporter in 08. He was an enthusiastic supporter, I think kind of because of the Harvard Law School connection and not for another reason. Yeah. But still. And then he goes on, he gets any any and he gets mad at Obama on, on uh, national TV. And then John Stewart picks it up, does this great riff on that, obviously. When are we gonna stop wagging at the Wall Street pinata? Um I don't know. Maybe when the candy comes out. How about that? Okay, and then and and so Scaramucci talks me through all this, and then and then he tells me about sort of the aftermath of appearing on the Daily Show in that clip. All of that was fine, and then one of the things you should never do if you're a public figure is read internet screeds about yourself. If you're a public figure, and so I started reading internet screeds, and somebody on the internet said that I was a complete out of touch Wall Street elitist. So my God, how could someone think that I'm a complete out of touch Wall Street elitist? I grew up in a, you know, neither one of my parents went to college. I grew up in a, uh, you know, a middle class family, but, uh, you know, hardworking people, uh, certainly uh, not an elitist. And then, you know, the self-awareness acorn hits you in the head where you're like, hey, wait a minute, I'm an elitist. I've insulated myself since the Harvard Law School. 
with some level of success and then interaction with other successful people and you become completely out of touch. And so uh, I try to get back in touch, uh, military projects, working with the military, uh, teaching entrepreneurship in indigent uh, neighborhoods and trying to get- Like un-isolate yourself, yeah, basically. Un-isolate yourself. Okay, so I really thought uh, I was un-isolating myself from 2010 to 2016. But where I've completely missed the boat is the anger in the society. So, Zoe, this is useful. It seems like you could look at him as an opportunist. He knew Obama, so he was for Obama. And then he was for Scott Walker and like, those guys have totally opposite policies, worldviews, everything else. So he just wants to be close to someone. But I also, and by the way, here's a guy whose total life trajectory was changed after John Stewart made fun of him. Kind of just, just let's note that. But it does seem that for wherever he was or wherever his self conception was, you still have to reckon with, you know, embracing Trump is a little different than v- embracing Jeb Bush. It seems like an order of magnitude different. So how do you explain that? I mean, I can't like far be it for me to speak to what was in his heart mm-hmm. at any moment. Right. Because we I like, you know, we have only met twice and it was probably for a total of an hour. But I'm going to give my opinion anyway about what he was really thinking. So he he obviously he likes to be a winner. And he I liked this thing that he did. It was like he found this role for himself with Trump, like almost like he hadn't quite fit in in the other scenarios. Like he's not really like a Jeb Bush. He's not like President Obama, really. He's Scott Walker. They seem like completely different. I mean, especially if you checked out Scott Walker's Instagram. But he found yeah, the spot. Like, like <laughs> shots of eggs he ate that morning. Yeah. <laughs> no, happy National Milk Day. Yeah. It's actually really good. Um, but with Trump, he, he started playing this role, the repentant globalist, where he was both like, I'm so rich and I'm so working class mm. and I need to atone for this. And I haven't seen anyone else play that part. Like I haven't seen Jared Kushner be like, yeah, I was, you know, I was I was all about the money and I inherited a bunch of money. And like yeah. I'm a rich guy, but like I've clearly come so far from, you know, my parent, my grandparents who are immigrants, like actually Holocaust refugees. You know, I haven't seen anyone else play the repentant globalist that Scaramucci found to play. That doesn't mean he was a repentant globalist. Right. Like he still threw a huge party at Davos. But I, I think he saw, you know, like a unique, a, a, a hole that needed filling. But it seems to me that this is, shows a little bit of the brilliance of Scaramucci. Like he's positioning himself in a way that uh, settles his own cognitive dissonance, yet also appeals to Trump. Right. He did say this thing about Trump to me. This was back before he decided to support Trump um, that I actually thought was like astute analysis of the sort of obvious flaw that Trump had, um, which was, you know, why I think a lot of people thought he couldn't win the election. This like sort of utter lack of um, like empathy Mm -hmm. that he had, Um, not to everybody in this society, but to like a, a large swath of the American society. And the way Scaramucci talked about it, I actually thought it was it was a really nice point. I'm going to speak very candidly. He was not my first choice. He obviously wasn't my second choice. Um, however, I'm a Republican, so I might I might be inclined to do it. What I'm upset about with Donald Trump, and if he was sitting here right here right now with us, I would say, Donald or Mr. Trump, you talk like and you act like a person that's never been discriminated against. Um, and so 
if you're going to run a country that is a polyglot and has a lot of ethnic groups and has a lot of, uh, there's a browning of the country. You know, when my grandparents got here, there were signs in the, in the store shops that said Nina, N-I-N-A. And that meant no Italians need apply. You don't, you're not, you're not going to get a job here if you're an Italian. And the Irish would tell you that that also meant no Irish need apply. So Donald Trump talks like a guy that's never been discriminated against. He's never spent, felt the sting of that. Okay. And so, uh, unless he's going to dial that back, he's going to moderate that. He's going to re- reject uh, that sort of divisiveness. Uh, I think it's going to be very hard for people to support him. I think people will disaffect from the party. I think the party will have effectively almost broken up before our eyes. There'll be a, a breakup and a restructuring, a bankruptcy of that party and a subsequent reformation of that party. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like after this, but unless he's going to be a unifying figure in the party uh, and he's going to be able to knit together that coalition, I see the party losing the election. And by the way, I am a student. He had a podcast for a while and it started off being TMI, too much information. And somewhere mm-hmm. around episode, I don't know, 12, it switched to uh, the motivation inside you could still call it tmi different set of it's like kfc it's yeah i don't know if there was ever a period where tmi didn't stand for anything and then it got rebranded like you know kfc but um he often he's a rebrander we know that he is and he and and the whole idea about you know being repentant and eating his blueberries and almond but like taking his licks that is part Mm -hmm. of stuff he always talked about on the podcast uh if you're listening to this for the first time i'm really trying to invite guests on that are going to be unvulnerable and talk about their success and failures and talk about the real world, how the real world works, as opposed to the sanitized, glossy magazine story or whatever. Sometimes some of the people in our businesses, we both know, they get to be successful and then all of a sudden they forget how they got there and they want to pretend that they did everything right. Uh, And so we're trying to avoid that. They love talking about how my failures made me who I am today. It's great to talk about that when it's in the real rear view mirror, but it's uh, a trope that he's comfortable with, that he traded in, uh, that we heard all the time on his podcast, and I think we heard it there too. Now, where I want to go is the part where you talk about, I think that this gives me an insight into who he thinks he is and where he might go. So why don't you tell me about that? So... At the end of the interview, you know, it's like, what are you going to do next, right? You're 0 for 2, and you've explicitly talked about how you don't think Donald Trump is the future of the Republican Party. Right. So you you're you don't necessarily want to back him, even though you think he has this insight into, you know, whatever, the working man. And so I ask him, you know, basically, what are you going to do next? And he, he, makes, um, he makes a solid point about New York. I'm sitting around. I've got my feet up on a chase lounge, okay? I have the luxury right now of uh, I, I, I think my establishment street credibility is there. I backed Walker, he's a member of the establishment. I backed uh, uh, Governor Bush, a member of the establishment. Like I said, if Donald Trump becomes the nominee of my party, I'm a team enough player to help Donald Trump, provided that. Okay, there is some level of recommunication and some level of moderation about certain things. What I will not be, because I am a student of history, 
I will not be part of a movement uh, that's anti-American. I will not be part of a movement that's uh, racially charged or racially divided or discriminatory. I'm not going to be part of a movement that uh, uh, that doesn't, for me, connect with and is congruent with what I, how I see America. Um, but I don't see Donald Trump like that. Now, I could be wrong about Donald Trump. Who knows? I see Donald Trump as a New Yorker. Okay, and I know the guy for 20 years. So what do New Yorkers do? They tend to over-talk like I'm doing right now on this radio program. They tend to over-remote. And they probably say a lot of things at times that they don't really mean. And at the end of the day, he's probably a lot more common sense oriented uh, than he's being caricatured as. Okay. I think what this tells us is he's going to position himself as trying to help the parts of uh, Trump's agenda that he talked about a little bit earlier. You know, the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the I'm a rich guy and now let's make some others rich, the repentant globalist part. But mm-hmm. I do think we're going to see him maybe make explicit points. Uh, and sometimes, I don't know, tell me if you think this is possible, but sometimes build his own brand by repudiating the most uh, either racist, xenophobic or ignorant uh, parts of what Trump says. It's funny because I haven't heard like a really just and I, I know I know that you've recently expressed your feelings about a white privilege recently, <laughs> yes, Mike, too much um, claim. but but just to, to for for just a second to gesture at identity politics, I haven't heard a like a, a white guy sort of unassailably <laughs> a white guy talk so much about being a kind of aggrieved, excluded, discriminated against member of the society the way that Scaramucci does. Yeah. Like he really leans in hard to being um, Italian to the point where like, you know, he's, he's a minority in this country. He does. He raised it. He's a person of color. He immediately raised it with me. Immediately raised it with Ryan Leslie. He talks about it all the time. I mean, he's really into his ethnicity. Talks about it all the time. And it could be off-putting if you ascribe to the idea of white skin privilege because he certainly benefits from that. Yeah. But at the same time, I think weirdly, it seems disingenuous. I think it's actually given him an, a, an empathy that is that is a strength. Like mm. I, I kind of bought into what he was saying about like he empathizes with discrimination and Trump doesn't. Maybe the reason why he empathizes with discrimination seems weird and trumped up, but I think think it's a real thing because he talks about it in like every context and so maybe that that will be something he can bring to his new press shop maybe who knows that's really interesting to see i think that also what's going on is uh he's a guy who does try to connect with people in a way that this administration has shown that it can't it's only talking like stephen miller has never been able to connect with anyone who doesn't already agree with him 110 percent. and so even though scaramucci made all these mistakes jim acosta made these really friendly overtures yeah so i mean it was right there the the hand was extended. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but I think that who knows what he's going to do and he's a self-promoter and maybe he'll have no impact. But, you know, I think that he has the instinct maybe. And if you looked at his memo that leaked, he was trying to connect with people who they mm-hmm. weren't connecting with in ways that we can genuinely call outreach. So maybe some of that will be going on. He is not going to just ride off quietly into the sunset, this man. As he uh, said to Sean Spicer on, on his way out, I hope he makes a lot of money. Yeah, I, you know, I hope I hope they all make a lot of money. In fact, from my understanding and reading of the Emoluments Clause, that's exactly why the presidency exists, just to make money with both fists, right? <laughs> you might find a former ethics czar who would disagree. And that and 400 bucks will get you a tea time at Turnberry. Well, anyway, Zoe Chase, she's a reporter for This American Life. Thank you, Zoe. 
Thanks, Mike. That was fun. Thanks for letting me release the tapes. And that is it for today's show. The gist was produced by Mary Wilson, a great producer, but she is not one of those wonderful people who go on to work for the local milk people. Just producer Chris Berube is vacationing in Canada because New Hampshire is a drug-infested den. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, is among the people who say, well, but the United States is large. And then you call places like Malaysia, Indonesia, and you say, you know, how many people do you have? And it's pretty amazing how many people they have. The gist. Hold on, hold on. I got Malaysia on the phone. Hello, 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 Malaysia? Yeah, is, is this the country of Malaysia? How many people do you have? No, from what I understand, this, this is how Google works, because I Googled your phone number, and I decided to give you a call, Malaysia. Okay, how many people? I don't know. Look out the window or something. Okay, you're going to Google it. That's good. Are you sure you can trust the number, and you're not just hearing from a 400-pound guy on his bed? Well, it's true. That's true. You are Googling from Malaysia. They're bound to have an accurate figure. Go ahead. Oh, you got 31 million people in Malaysia. Well, that is the same size crowd as the inaugural. Thanks, Malaysia. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the Bob Newhart School of One-Sided Phone Call Comedy. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.